Good morning. I hate to break up the conversation. I'm seeing hugs, and I'm seeing laughs, and that's exciting. That's great. I know. It's sad. But thank you all for being here this morning. Good morning. What? Oh, I don't think so. Middle Church can be released now, so go ahead. <laughs> Good morning. My name is Courtney Herwald. I'm on the volunteer preaching team here at River Heights, and it's always a joy for me to be able to come up and stand here a few times a year to share um, some from God's Word and what God's put on my heart this morning. And so, um, so yeah, it's great to be here. I don't know if many of you felt like you got an extra hour of sleep this morning, but... I actually did. My kids didn't get up, you know, at 5 a.m., which I was worried about, and so I did get to sleep a little extra, and that felt good. Um, so yeah, it's great to be here, and today we're actually starting a new three-week series called Roots and Branches, and I said earlier, for some reason, every time I, I say that, I feel like I need to say it in like a southern accent or something, like Roots and Branches, but anyways, it is our new series, and we're going to look more specifically at Jesus' words to his disciples as found in the book of John chapter 15 and the surrounding chapters. So the imagery of roots and branches comes from the imagery that Jesus uses in the chapter that we are going, in the, in the passage that we're going to look at together today. We'll look at what it means to be branches that remain connected to Jesus as the vine and who have a life of faith that's deeply rooted in God's love and bears fruit that will last in the world. I'll be focusing more on the roots part of the title today, as I think it actually, our beliefs and practices of our faith lives, when they're, where they are rooted, has a lot to do with how we grow and bear fruit as branches connected to the vine, the source of our lives, which is Jesus. I'll share some thoughts about what it means to be rooted in the love of God, and one of the ways that I've found particularly helpful in cultivating my identity as God's beloved child, even in the daily struggles and challenges of life. So my hope is that today you would be drawn into greater intimacy with God, greater intimacy as you are reminded that it is what you were created for and that you would be encouraged to make time and space in your life to more deeply be rooted in God's unconditional love for you, and as a result, that you would find that your life is a more joy-filled life. So would you join me in praying for that right now? God, we just thank you so much that uh, you are in this place. God, whether we are here physically or whether we are watching online, God, you see us and you love us deeply. And God, your greatest desire is that we would come to know that love that you have for us. God, would you help us to uh, grow in our roots, that our roots would grow deeply so that you would enable us to stay confidently connected to you. And that even when things get hard, God, even when we, are, we feel like we're pressed on all sides, God, that we would know that in our rootedness in you, we can weather even the fiercest of storms in our lives. Holy Spirit, come and speak to us right where we are today, no matter how we come. Thank you for loving us, God. Amen. So let's take a look at our passage today from chapter 15, John chapter 15, verses 1 through 17. It's a longer passage, but I think Jesus' use of repetition in different ways in here is helpful for us to really get the point of what he's trying to say here to his disciples. 
So Jesus says, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends, and you are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. And this is my command. Love each other. So this passage is full of so many important truths, but what really sticks out to me is that Jesus is speaking to his disciples from his own experience of being loved by God, connected to God, and obedient to God. He isn't just giving them a lecture of what they need to be successful followers of God. He is giving them the secret to how he has been able to do all of the things that he's been doing in their presence. Jesus knows the bigger picture of God's plans for these ragtag disciples and what he plans to do in the world through them. He knows that they have been following him, watching him, listening to him, learning from him, but he knows that it won't be enough to sustain them when he's gone. So he wants to make sure that they understand what has sustained him through all of the things that he has faced through his life and all the things that he will face. And that's this. He has remained in God's love. And it's this that has produced fruit of obedience in his life. He knew that he could not do anything on his own, and so he was telling his disciples that it was absolutely necessary that they remain in his love because on their own they wouldn't be able to do anything either. Their identity needed to be so rooted in an understanding of God's unconditional love for them, and therefore God's love for the world, that they'd be willing to do whatever God asked of them. They would need such a deep intimacy with God and knowledge of God's will that they would know what to ask for and it would be given to them. Now I want you to take a moment and think about what it was like for you when you first came to know and experience God's unconditional love for you. 
And while you're thinking about that, I just want to say that if you never have experienced God's unconditional love for you, or maybe you have always found it difficult to accept that, I know I certainly have, I want you to know that it is always available to you. And I want to encourage you to take the opportunity to have someone pray for you today to receive that understanding of God's love for you. And we'll have an opportunity to do that towards the end of the service during worship. There'll be people here to pray for you or find a friend or someone to pray for you as well. I really believe that God wants you to experience what it means to be unconditionally loved in a way that will transform your life. And for those of us who have experienced that, for those of us who have embraced God's unconditional love, how did that change your perspective of life? of your life, of the lives of those around you, what changes took place in your life? I'll give you a moment to think about that. Now, how many of you know what your life looks like when you lose sight of how loved you are by God? When you no longer feel rooted in this love, in your belovedness? I think we can probably all say that we've had those times in our life. It's incredibly easy, isn't it, to let the cares of this world, the busyness of our daily lives, our own hurts, habits, and hang-ups cause us to lose sight of the truth of who we are as God's deeply loved children, isn't it? We can get so blinded by the things that we're unable to see beyond our own struggles and our own pride, the things of our life that are challenges. We begin to do life on our own terms, depend on our own strength, our own skills, and forget that we were meant to remain connected to the source of our life. We forget who we belong to, and we forget who we are. You know, as a mother of three small children, it can often feel for me like the demands in life don't allow for much time or energy for me to actually step away and breathe in this truth of being unconditionally loved by God. I mean, I can know that it's true in my head, but when I'm not deeply rooted in my identity as being unconditionally loved by God, I can find myself easily swayed, sometimes to the point of breaking, by the challenges surrounding me. As a result, the fruit that comes from my life doesn't look so great. God's love for me doesn't change, but I change. It becomes harder for me to hear God's voice and easier for me to believe lies about who I am or who I'm not. I'm more easily shaken by life circumstances, by anxiety, depression, my emotions in the moment. But when I am rooted in the truth of who I am, deeply loved by God, I remember that I was made for more, that I was made to bear good fruit and to bear fruit that will last, and that I am strong enough with God to weather any storm of life. My roots go deep. And so I read these verses in John as an almost passionate plea from Jesus to his disciples. He's saying, remain in me, remain in my love. Remember the bigger picture. He knows how necessary it is. But how? <laughs> how do we stay rooted in that bigger picture of our belovedness? I think sometimes we need to actually take a moment to step back pause and ask God to remind us. There's a book that the staff here has been reading called Leadership on the Line, 
And one of the chapters is entitled, Get Off the Balcony. And what this is supposed to mean is you're thinking of maybe a dance scenario where you're kind of surrounded by a lot of other people. And, you know, we can get caught up so much in the busyness and the activity, even the good stuff and the challenges of life, that we forget to pause and step back and see what's really going on. I'd say that most of us can probably relate to that, especially in these last few weeks with the election coming up, with all of the noise that we're surrounded by on a daily basis, the things going on in the news. It can be so deafening, right? We can be so surrounded by all of this. But in the words of the author, we have to get off the dance floor sometimes and go up to the balcony. We need a perspective shift. You know, an example that comes to mind from my own life that I think illustrates this is from a day hiking trip my family and I took in Wisconsin one weekend. And if you know what it's like to take a hike with three small children, you will know that I'm using that term hike loosely. It was a nice hike. We saw some waterfalls, the trees were at peak fall colors, and we had just gone far enough that my four-year-old was menaced from throwing herself on the ground and refusing to walk another step. <laughs> She's here today. Uh, but my oldest son, who's almost nine years old, really wanted to keep going. We were all tired, but I hated to damper his enthusiasm, so I said I would go up another path towards the beginning of the trail that we had started that had indicated that there was a lookout. So I assumed that meant we'd have a bit of a climb, but I wasn't prepared for reaching the bottom of a staircase that consisted of 142 stairs. 142, and yes, I counted, but in my head, because I was so out of breath that I could barely <laughs> breathe by the time I got up to the top. It was a lot of stairs, but the view at the top was breathtaking, and my son it was enjoying it, as you'll see in this next picture, but obviously it was somewhat still obstructed by the woods that we were walking through. But that's when we saw another sign pointing to a lookout tower. <laughs> And of course, my son didn't want to settle for that first view. He wanted to go higher. And so I soon found myself staring up from the bottom of this <laughs> and up at another 72 stairs. And so we climbed, and each platform we tried to look out as we got higher, but we were still in the midst of all these trees, so we couldn't really see much until we got to the top. And suddenly, we were able to see as far as to get a glimpse of Lake Superior. I don't know if you can see that up there, but that is actually Lake Superior. And we had just been there the day before, and it was about a two-hour drive from where we were. So it was pretty amazing to be able to see that far. And really, the best part was seeing the joy on my son's face at having made it to the top and be rewarded with such a view. You know, we really would have missed out if we had been satisfied with the view at the top of the first staircase. And we would have seen nothing but leaves if we had stopped at any of the platforms on the way up to the top. So talk about going up to the balcony to get a change of perspective. I was reminded of the bigness of God, of the vast beauty that God's created, and of the wonder that I had enough breath in me to survive the climb. In other words, it was worth it. It really was worth it. And you know, Jesus had that bigger picture when he was talking to his disciples. He knew what his disciples would face, especially in his absence. 
He knew that they needed a bigger perspective in order to see what was most important. Staying rooted to the love of God, connected to the vine, to himself, so that God could do all that God desired to do in and through their lives. If they did not remain in this love relationship, they would, as Jesus put it, wither and die and be cut off and burned in the fire. You know, that might sound harsh, but it's just the reality that dead branches that aren't connected to anything break off, and they're not really good for much of anything but firewood. And this isn't what God's desire is for anyone. God wants to see fruit produced in our lives, and not just a little bit, but a lot. And we can do all kinds of things on our own that we think might be producing that fruit, but in reality, our view is too obstructed to be able to see what it is that God wants to produce in our lives. God doesn't want us to settle for the view we think is best, for an obstructive view. God wants to give us the very best view. And as Jesus tells us, we must remain connected to him, rooted in the love of God to be fruitful, to experience all that God has for us to do and to be in this life. This rootedness comes from having an intimate relationship with the very one who created us out of this deep love. But the question, of course, is how do we grow in our relationship with God so that we become deeply rooted in this truth? God is, of course, always available to meet with us, but we also need to make ourselves available to meet with God. We need to be willing to let God take us up to that balcony to gain perspective, especially when it seems like we can't see beyond our present circumstances. Just as it took some work climbing up those 142 plus 72 stairs to get the view above the tree line with my son, growing in intimacy and God perspective does take some work on our part. God is always with us, whether we're pressed on all sides or whether we're enjoying the view. But like any relationship, remaining or abiding with someone takes a willingness to be with someone. And in this case, a willingness to be attentive to our creator and to keep pressing into our one great love. But again, how do we do that? How do we take a step back and pause and gain the perspective of God? How do we silence the clamor of noise and distraction around us so that we can experience the deep transformative love of God? a love that enables us to see as God wants us to see. I personally have found that the practice of contemplation is one in which the more I spend time doing it, the more I hunger for it, the more my soul longs for it. And that longing to be with God, that longing to know the love of God above all else is what we were created for. Now, when I say that term, contemplation, what I'm talking about is the setting aside of time to simply be with God. No expectations, no hashtag goals, just simply spending time getting to know my God more. It's a way of being that I think we see a lot of in the Psalms and can be summed up in Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. I think we don't talk about this way of being with God very much because it isn't easy for many of us to actually be still and to rest in God's presence in this way. It doesn't come naturally for many of us to calm our minds and hearts in the midst of all that's going on around us. 
So even though I personally happen to be a more contemplative person by nature, I get how challenging this is, especially with three small children and all of the demands of life. But I also know how necessary it is, and those circumstances sometimes make it all the more necessary that I do this. And it's not just about sitting still, but about experiencing an inner stillness in the midst of everything else, in the midst of what can sometimes feel like the chaos of life. And we only have to look at the life of Jesus in the Bible to see how important it was even for Jesus to step away and be very intentional about making space to be, just be with God. And I believe it's largely due to this discipline that he was able to have such a deep intimacy with God. So when I do this, it's to let God love me and grow, help me to grow in loving God the way that I was created to. There's a Jesuit priest, preacher, and theologian and social justice advocate named Walter J. Burghardt, and he defined contemplation in a really beautiful and helpful way by calling it a long, loving look at the real. And he said all of these words in this definition are important. Real, look, long, loving. The real is being aware of all that God has made and that God's image is in all of creation. So God is not some far-off being, but it's present all around us if we just take time to notice. For me, I experience the nearness of God when I take time to be in nature, to gaze at a sunset or a sunrise, to watch birds on my bird feeder out the window, to hear my children giggling together, or to take time to actually sit and feel a warm breeze going across my face. These are all ways of having a loving awareness of the concrete realities of things that are all around us and that speak of God's love for us. And what makes this contemplative is the way we look at these things. Not trying to analyze all these things around us, but just enjoying them for what they are. You know, you can study things, but unless you enter into a kind of communion with them and a deeper understanding of them, you can only know about them. You don't really know them. And so in this way, contemplation and being with God in this way has been compared to falling in love. When you love someone, it isn't about knowing all the things that make up someone, their height, their weight, their IQ, their habits. Rather, it's the essence of someone that brings joy, the meeting of eyes, the touching of hands. It's your whole self experiencing th these things, looking with mind, eyes, and ears, smelling, touching, tasting, all the senses engage in the wonder of this person. And in contemplation, the person of our affection, the person that we have this with, is our creator God. It's pretty amazing. And this looking at the real is a long look. Not in terms of measured time, but being unhurried, gloriously unhurried, Burghardt would say. To contemplate is actually to rest to rest in the real, to rest in the reality of what is life, what is God all around us, in us. And this long look must also be loving. It's to be captivated and even delighted by God. But contemplation doesn't actually ask us to remove ourselves from the reality of life either, so it doesn't always result in delight. Burghardt would say that the real also includes things like sin and war, poverty and race, illness and death. Those are all part of life as well, right? 
But we can sit with those things also, and then those things, as we contemplate those things, they end in a compassion, a compassion that is modeled after Christ, and that is actually real love, the love of God. A long, loving look at the real, where we can discover the holy in these deep encounters with God's creation, with God's people, and with God's self. So I just want to share one quote from Burghardt. He has a lot of good things to say about this, but he says, unless there is a personal relationship between you and God, unless you look upon things and persons and God with a long, loving look, your activity is likely to end in frustration and failure, and you a castaway. Contemplation, my friends, is not a luxury. It is the mark of a lover. It is the mark of a Christian. I really love that. We were made to love God in this way. But if we were made for this, how do we realize our capacity to do this? There's a few practical ways that have helped me, and to actually, one of them is to actually find time to physically put myself in places for a period of time that encourage solitude and connection with God. And one of those is in nature for me. Um, it can be as simple as going for a walk with the intention of being aware of the presence of God all around you, or maybe creating space in your home, in a corner of your house. I've had to do this, and it's hard with kids, but actually setting aside a place that I know is where I'm going to go when I want to meet with God, when I want to spend time in the presence of God's love, even knowing that it goes with me wherever I go. For me, sometimes when I'm sitting in that space, sometimes I'm just looking out the window, <laughs> you know? And often it means taking up the Bible and finding a piece of scripture to just read and to sit with, to meditate on, without the intention of needing to know all the things that go along with it and to see what God does as I sit with that passage. It's not always easy to do this, but I've come to realize the necessity of being intentional about creating the space and time to do these things, even in what often feels like my crazy life. And sometimes, though, I really need to just get away to be alone with God, somewhere even removed from my daily life, and for a long enough time that I can settle into a space of stillness, because I don't know about you, but it can take me a while to kind of calm down, for my mind to calm down, to my body to relax enough to receive all that I desire from God. And I'm really grateful to have had the opportunity to spend time at a number of places that exist for just this purpose. And you can find them on your own as well. But one place I've been up to, have been to four times now, um, is only as far as Isanti, Minnesota. Some of you may have heard of it before. It's called Pachamin Terrace. It's a silent hermitage retreat center. Um, I think most of, us, most of the people on staff here have spent some time there. And I'd be happy to tell you more about it if you want to find me afterwards. But for now, I will just say that when I have committed myself to spending several days in this place that is constantly being bathed in prayer by the people who run it because it's for this purpose, and it exists on a beautiful piece of land that has trails that you can walk on and a simple hermitage to stay in alone with a vow to be silent uh, and just read the Bible, God has met me in powerful ways that have fueled me for months or even longer after I return home. 
I know for some of you this might sound horrible <laughs> to be alone for that amount of time, but I really think something powerful happens when we step away and we ask God to speak to us, when we put aside all the distractions of our lives. And for me, it sparks an even greater longing in me to be with God. It encourages me that I can find God in simplicity and silence, in the beauty of nature, and even in my everyday life as I take these experiences with me into the, my life as I return. And I believe the mystics of the church, many of them who spent a lot of time on their own in her hermitages, they decided they wanted to do that because they sought such unity with God through contemplation. And I think they were on when so many of them wrote about God in the language of love, of being absolutely enraptured by God, by desiring nothing but oneness with the lover of their souls. And I love this quote by a 13th century woman mystic and poet, Hadwick of Antwerp. It's a mouthful, it's quite the name. Hadwick said this, she said, Oh, may you grow according to that dignity which is yours and for which you were destined before time began. How can you endure it that God enjoys you in his essence and you do not have enjoyment of him? Open the eyes of your heart to the light and see yourself in God in holy truth. She had experienced the deep unconditional love of God. And what comes through here and in through so many other writers who spent their lives desiring and pursuing intimacy with God is exactly what Jesus says in the passage that we read today. Joy. He says, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. It's the same expression that I witnessed on my son's face when we finally made it to the top of the climb. Wonder and joy at the beautiful view that met us. So to me, it seems like there's a very important connection between intimacy or remaining in relationship with Jesus and living a joy-filled life. And what better way to engage in God's work in the world than being fueled by the joy of God's love? What better way to combat pride and envy, cynicism, hatred, and injustice than with the joy of the Lord? You know, believing what God thinks of you, truly thinks of you, can change your whole perspective. When we believe the truth of how loved we are, and that we're delighted in, it's like those stairs taking us up and up and up to the balcony so that we can see the bigger picture, above all the other stuff that often gets in the way. We abide, we remain in Jesus by resting in God's love for us. This is what we are rooted in, and it's absolutely necessary to know and experience the love of God if we ever hope to be able to love others the way Jesus did. And the awesome thing is that if we ever forget, and if we ever find ourselves lost amidst the trees with our views obstructed, God has given us the Holy Spirit to guide us in the right direction. And most often it's through other believers who can remind us of the truth of who we are. I know I might not have gone to the top of that hike without my son urging me on. We can surround ourselves with people who have spent time looking long and lovingly at the real, and we can help one another take time and make space to still ourselves enough to be aware of and delight in God's presence all around us and God's delight in us. So over the next two weeks, we're going to continue to look at what it means to be rooted in this love, 
connected as branches to the vine who is love incarnate, who now exists with us in the presence of the Holy Spirit. And as branches that remain connected to the vine will continue to produce fruit and good fruit that will last. And so as we conclude here, we do usually have a few tips to offer, just to take with us as we go. And I'd like to invite the worship team to come back here as I um, go through these. Um, the first is to read John chapter 15. Just take some time to read through it a couple of times so that you might maybe have that understanding and, and be able to let that sit in your heart about what Jesus desired for his disciples. And then to pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to teach you to rest in the love of Jesus and to let that love bear good fruit in your life and in the lives of those around you. And then to do, to find time this week to step away and pause, to be still and know, even if it's just for five minutes, ten minutes, so that God can bring you up to the balcony to show you God's loving perspective of you and the world. You know, as I was preparing for this message, there are a few things that stood out to me that I want to recommend uh, if it's something that maybe you could come and get prayer for. And I want to invite the prayer team to come up to the front as well. Um, we have people that are trained to pray for you and for you and with you. And so we want to give you an opportunity to do that, to respond to anything today in the message that might have struck your heart or any other needs you might have. But a few things that I thought of as I was preparing were... What I mentioned at the beginning, if you have never experienced God's unconditional love for you in your life, I think today God really wants to do that in your life. Sometimes it starts in small ways. And so when we make ourselves available to God, God is willing to meet us above and beyond what we're even asking for. And so I'd encourage you today to get prayer just to be able to receive that from God. And maybe if this is something that is, has been difficult for you, I'd suggest you get prayer for that as well. Sometimes we need someone else to stand with us and to remind us of God's love for us. And then the second thing is, if you're maybe feeling stuck in your walk, in your faith walk, maybe you feel like you're stuck at one of those other levels at the top of the hill or on that balcony and you can't really see the things that are going on in the way that you want. Um, I think God wants to restore your relationship with him today. And I think that God wants to give you that pers God perspective of who you are in God and who God is in your life and wants to be in your life. And if there's something this morning, lastly, that maybe you need a greater perspective on, maybe it's something specific you've been asking God for but haven't been able to really see clearly, I think that God wants to give some clarity today, even if it is to take you up on that balcony and show you what is most important for you to know right now in this time and place so that you might be able to focus on that and trust in God's plans for you and what God has for you. And so as I close, I just want to pray a prayer from Ephesians over all of us this morning because I think that it says so much of what my heart is for us this morning and what I know God's heart is for each one of us. And these are Paul's words from Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. He says, When I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through the Spirit. 
Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. And may you experience the love of Christ, though it's too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And he concludes with, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So we're just going to continue to take a little time to worship here and invite you to come up and receive prayer. Thank you.